Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. And stand for the reading of our passage this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to start from verse 10 and read through 17. We'll be focused on 13 through 17. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood... You have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. So the warnings from the Apostle Paul concerning false teachers, false teachers continues in this book. The scourge of the church through the ages has been, has not really been pagans. It has been, uh, or at least not pagans outside the church. It's been pagans inside the church. It's been false teachers, unbelievers who have taken leaders of uh, positions of leadership in the church. That um, has led to much persecution and death. Uh, false teachers have done the most damage to souls. False teaching is not something uh, we don't have to deal with today, obviously. It is something that all the ages of the church will deal with. Take revoice. Take Revoice and the teaching that is making inroads in our denomination and the Reformed and and Evangelical Churches of the United States. These false teachers, as all false teachers are, are sophisticated, studied, nuanced, educated. They've found a sweet spot that appeals to, to many people and to many pastors. Homosexual orientation is good. Homosexual activity is bad. That's a sweet spot that's being found by these men. In order to defend that thesis, these false teachers have begun picking apart the doctrines of original sin, concupiscence or the sinfulness of desiring to sin, sexuality, ecclesiology, anthropology, all these, you know, and on and on the list goes of the the doctrines that are being attacked right now just from this one group. What seems like a subtle variation of teaching and a way for the church to be more friendly and more loving is actually a radical shift away from orthodoxy. 
And it is yet to be seen if the man of the PCA can come up with a way of disciplining the church that allowed such wickedness to be promoted. Um, Presbyterians have encumbered themselves with a very difficult process for discipline. And it it's, um, in many cases makes discipline impossible. False teachers, as the Apostle Paul writes here, are evil men and imposters who go from bad to worse in their activity of deceiving and being deceived. So false teachers are not misguided men or misunderstood men or men who have genuine motives but lack the correct uh, education. No, they are evil men and imposters. They are fakes who intend, with their false teaching, the abandonment of the old past to mislead the sheep. They intend to deceive. Right? The clearest description in all of Scripture of, of false teachers is in the book of Jude. And Jude writes in such, uh, such shocking language here. He says, but these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And for pay they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. Clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Not very mealy-mouthed about false teachers. False teachers are hidden reefs in our love feasts, and they only care for themselves. They do not have it as their goal to see Christ formed in the people of the church or to turn people away from evil. They're actually turning people toward evil, and they do not. The last thing they want to see is Christ formed in the people of the church. They simply, false teachers, simply serve themselves and they serve their own appetites. Though though they are well educated, uh, they lack understanding that is spiritual in nature. Right? Never mistake education for wisdom. Right? Never ever mistake education for wisdom. Never make this mistake of thinking that a man with a Ph.D. has more understanding than you when it comes to spiritual truths, right? These spiritual truths, uh, the Word of God, contains truths that are revealed by the Spirit of God, right? Not by the godless professor who has to innovate to get published, right? That's not where spiritual teaching will happen. If you know nothing other than the Word of God, you are prepared for battle. If you know nothing other than the Word of God, you're prepared to do battle. False teachers are deceived about what they know and live to deceive others with their own deceptions. So what we we must remember, though, is this, that our hearts are easily deceived and desperately wicked. 
right? So though false teachers don't have spiritual wisdom, we can easily think that they do because we're easily deceived, right? We often like, we often like what false teachers say or what false teachers give to us because they often tickle our ears and tell us that God wants for us what we want for ourselves, right? No, no, God's word doesn't keep you from that. God's, God's word says, says, says this. They seldom assert God's otherness and holiness. They simply revoice God as an affirming guru, right? And, and that is seduct, seductive to us because our flesh wars against the spirit, and we often just want to be what our sinful nature inclines us to be. That's what we want. We don't want to pursue holiness. We don't want our pastor to push us to pursue holiness. We get tired of it. We begin thinking of it as legalism. We begin thinking of it as, as, as depressing and just browbeating constantly, right? Um, false teachers tap into this dilemma. And they won't make you pursue holiness. They'll just tell you to go and be what you want to be to fulfill your potential as a human being. right? Notice what the Apostle Paul says about the advancement of these false teachers. They will go from bad to worse, or literally, they, they will advance to the worst. Um, they, this always seems to be the way of false teachers. For a while, for a while, they are nuanced and subtle. right? For a while, they have to be nuanced and subtle in order to entrap people and to deceive. But after a while, their real intent becomes clear. I, I think of a false teacher named Rob Bell, right? Rob Bell, is, it's hard to even use him as an example anymore because he's such a joke. Um, he was for a long time a pastor of a church near Grand Rapids, Michigan called Mars Hill Bible Church. And his videos were wildly popular in evangelical churches. They were played during... Um, played during chapel services at PCA uh, schools and just very, very widely spread and widely recognized. And his teaching at that point was subtly against any rigor in the Christian life, right? Any rigor was legalism, and, and he was subtly trying to, to point out that the old ways are not so good, right? And, but it was subtle. And then... His videos got more and more explicitly against scripture, and then he wrote a book against the doctrine of hell. Then he quit his church and teamed up with Oprah. Right Now he goes around talking about the zimzum of love. Right? And apparently that's a Hebrew word. Um, that's the title of one of his books, The Zimzum of Love. He and his wife travel around talking about this book. Here's a description from HarperCollins' uh, blurb on it. Rob and Kristen Bell introduce a startling new way of looking <laughs> um, introduce so you go from subtle to startling, right? Introduce a startling new way of looking at marriage, the zimzum of love. Zimzum is a Hebrew term where God, in order to have a relationship with the world, contracts creating space for the creation to exist. In marriage, zimzum is the dynamic energy field between two partners in which each person contracts to allow the other to flourish. 
Mastering this field, this give and take of energy, is the secret to what makes marriage flourish. Right? There's that flourish word that gets overused today. But, but you see, he, he's just making stuff up now. And, and we laugh at it because it's so absurdly unbiblical. Right? This energy, I mean, that's like Eastern mysticism. You know, I, I want to I say bad words right now. Um, but but that's, that's what false teachers do. They entrap a following through subtlety. And then more and more they reveal what their original intent was, which was to lead people astray, to deceive, to move them away from Jesus Christ and not toward him. Right? Rob Bell is one of many, many false teachers who went down the path from bad to worse. Um, this is the way of most cult leaders. They don't simply start at wackadoodle, right? They, they, they don't start with the Kool-Aid. They get a following, and then they introduce the suicide pact after that. They start as seemingly orthodox, right? And then over time, their own desires and original teachings have the veneer of orthodoxy removed. And so the, the key that so many conservatives in the PCA don't get is to recognize false teachers early, early on. Even to make mistakes recognizing them early on, right? So that you can protect the sheep, so that the sheep are, are, are warned. It's easy to speak of a voice now that transcripts of what they said are available and it's been two months, but many of us were warning people before it happened. We knew what was coming, right? We could have been wrong. We could have been wrong. We could have gotten it all wrong. They could have said everything orthodox in that conference, and what would we have done then? We would have repented. We would have said we were wrong, but we weren't wrong. But it was worth the risk of being wrong. To warn the sheep. And keep your eyes on the revoice men. Keep your eyes on the revoice men. They will go from bad to worse. Right? Side B gay Christians will become side A gay Christians. Those willing to work within orthodox denominations will leave them for the greener pastures of more or more accepting denominations. The historic Christian sexual ethic will suddenly include forms of homosexual behavior. Watch. This will happen. This will happen. False teachers always go from bad to worse. And those who repent of their association with the gay Christian movement will not. Those who say, no, it's wrong, they won't go from bad to worse. They will leave it behind. They will go in a wonderful retrograde direction toward repentance and orthodoxy and holiness. Now, are we... Are we supposed to feel sympathy for false teachers? Are we supposed to feel sympathy for false teachers? Um, it, many people make me feel like I need to feel sympathy for false teachers. That, that they, you know, that maybe they had a bad upbringing or, or maybe they were mistaught or maybe, you know, maybe they just need um, another degree. Or maybe they, they just, um, they're dealing with a particular sin and, you know, it's, help them overcome that. Um, absolutely not. We should feel absolutely no sympathy 
for false teachers. We are to expose their evil deeds in order to protect the sheep from their destructive heresies. This is no time to be cute with false teaching. This is no time to be mealy-mouthed. It's no time to form study committees that take seriously the bile being poured out in these conferences. It's trash. It needs to be called trash. Right? Oh, let's form a study committee and give them a serious look and two years down the road have a statement that, that isn't even authoritative? Grief. Just warn your flocks, pastors. Just warn your local flocks. Tell them what's going on and teach them. Um, Watch. These false teachers will go from bad to worse. It always happens. We must nip false teaching in the bud before it captures us. Look what lies ahead in this letter. A solemn charge from, from the apostle to Pastor Timothy. This is the next section. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. I mean, that's like, that's like, I'm getting serious with you, Timothy. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, right? Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience And instruction for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You know, he's like, pound them. Do the work. Preach in season and out of season. Preach the word of God. Oppose what is false. Protect the sheep. It's your responsibility, Timothy. False teachers are vying for your hearts, and your hearts are deceptive, so be very careful. Heed the warnings of those who have watch over your souls in the church. Now, as is Paul's practice, the apostle goes on to give the alternative. He writes to Timothy, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now look at that. Look at that. Stick with the things you learned even from childhood. That's what he says. Just stick with the old things. Stick with the things you learned in your second grade Sunday school class. Stick with those things. Again, this is, this is so hard for us, isn't it? We send, we send our children off to university, and because they were not prepared to re- resist the seductive strength of new ideas, they return home and tell us how jacked up Scripture is. Right, we're, and, and we realize we were ashamed of the gospel with our own children, and now they have new teachers to follow who actually believe what they're teaching. Right, and bam, the children go off the rails. Right, they actually jump rails to a new set of rails. No one goes off rail. Right, it's just a new set of rails. Children, children, stop drawing for a moment. 
This will be one of the fights that you have in your life. Your parents are teaching you the truth of God's word, and you are going to get bored with it. You'll get bored. You're already bored. If you've read through the Bible five or six times already, you're bored with it. And you've slacked off in in reading the Bible every day because you're bored with it. Um, Let's just be honest. You will get bored with the things you grew up with. And you will pick up new books. And those new books will open up new worlds to you, right? And those things at first are intriguing, and then they're fascinating, and then they're tantalizing, and then they become everything. They become your new scripture, right? That's the the seductive power of new ideas, right? And you... You will be tempted to abandon the old paths. You will be tempted to abandon the things that your your well-meaning parents taught you. Right? The Apostle Paul commends Timothy for not doing that. Right? He stayed with what his little mother and little grandmother taught him. He kept to that. And became one of the main teachers of what he learned when he was a child. Right? The Apostle Paul commends Timothy for not abandoning the scriptures. When he was young, his mother and his grandmother taught him about Jesus Christ and the word of God and creation and salvation and by faith alone. And he became convinced of it. And not only did he not abandon it, he became the right-hand man of an apostle. Right? Used by God to start up churches throughout the world. Used by God to set up the first Christian churches in many areas. That we are all still connected to by faith today. Do you think that there were other ideas that he could have bought into at that day? You think there are other ideas, other philosophies he could have followed during that day? He could have become a Stoic. He could have become, you know... uh, uh, just a hedonist. There are so many other things that he could have followed, but his parents, his, his mom, apparently not his father, his mom and his grandmother taught him about Jesus Christ. Think of the selfless good he did because he simply stuck to the old things. Right? Will you... Will you be seduced by newer, more popular ideas? Will you ultimately decide that you will determine your own rather your own reality rather than God determine your reality for you? That's generally what it comes down to. You just want to define things yourself, but you don't want to define them the way the one who created you defined them. Right? Will you continue to yawn through the Word of God? That was written for you. Will you let familiarity breed contempt in you? Don't let it happen. Follow the example of Timothy. These are eternal truths. Follow what Timothy did in following what he was taught. What was so important about following the teaching of his mother and grandmother, the teachings of sacred writing? Well, look at verse 15. The Apostle says that the sacred writings are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Go to any other source of wisdom, and you know what you will be told. You will be told to get to work. You'll be told to think certain thoughts. You'll be told to 
to exercise certain ways. You'll be told to eat or not eat certain things. You'll be told to, to, um, to think, to educate. You'll be told to climb tall mountains. You'll be told to, to uh, treat your body harshly, right? But, but that's what you'll learn at every other source. You will be told that you must promote intersectionality, right? You'll be told that you must protect eagles' nests. You'll be told that you must eat the right foods. You'll be told you must redistribute wealth. You'll be told that you must make art. You'll be told that you must denounce Trump, right? That you must also denounce Nancy Pelosi, right? That you must empty the mind, that you must fashion idols, that you must be educated, that you must go on pilgrimage, that you must... Um, do two years of missionary work, right? That you must stop drinking caffeinated beverages, that you must be all that you can be, that you must think profound thoughts. In a nutshell, you must work to be saved and to be useful. You have to work. That's why you need to find the right guru who has the right path. And you'll also be told that you must outdo your fellow man and you must impress God or impress the gods. You must impress God. Can you imagine impressing the God of the Bible? Can you imagine ever impressing the holy, righteous God of the Bible? That is a fool's errand, right? There is only one way, only one way to to impress God. And that has nothing to do with yourself. But, but what you must come to recognize is the absolute glory and wonder of the fact that the sacred writings tell you no such thing. They, they, it's not just another, here's the path of work. They simply tell you this, that your faith will save you. Your faith will save you. Your faith. 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 Your faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. God was for him simply because Abraham believed. Right? In, in, Romans, in Romans, Paul explains this and he says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. I mean, do you understand how incredible that is? I mean, I like free food. You know, when you get a coupon and you can take it in and you get like a substantial sandwich for free. Well, this is salvation. This is eternal life. This is salvation that's given to us, not by our works, but simply by faith. It's a free gift. Right? You believe what is written in these sacred writings. You believe in Jesus Christ as the propitiation for sins, and the debt against you vanishes. 
Your faith is credited by God's decision as righteousness. You may now live knowing that God is for you, no matter what else is against you. What you must never do is lose sight of the glory and wonder of that statement, right? That, and remember that every other religion, every other teacher, every other professor, every other book, every other guru is going to tell you to get to work. And you might make it. And it's lies. And it's deception. And it's meant to get you to hate the God who supplies free salvation. God will not be impressed with your works. There is no way to impress a holy God, a a, a perfect and holy God. There's no way to impress him. You will not be able to pay the debt unless, that is, unless you believe. Do not be seduced by other views. They are all the same, and they are boring, and they are damnable. Then, after speaking of the sacred writings giving wisdom that leads to faith, the apostle makes a general statement about the word of God. Um, A few verses you may have memorized at some point. He writes, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All scripture, Genesis through Revelation, every bit is breathed out by God. It's exhaled by God himself. Unlike other works that are merely the uh, work of men, the ink of men, um, this book is both the work of men, but work done as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Can I prove this? Well, only the Holy Spirit can convince you of this. I remember reading scripture before my faith uh, came alive, and I just analyzed and critiqued and judged and laughed at it. Um, It it was just as if I were reading any other book. Then I was converted and I began hanging on the words of Scripture, right? I believed what was written. I had spiritual eyes for a spiritual text. To a natural man, the Scriptures are just foolishness. They're lifeless, right? But, But to the spiritual man, they are life. It is God's gift to us that we come to understand His Word as sacred and inspired, and it is a work of the Holy Spirit to convince us of that. What good are inspired writings, writings breathed out by the one true living God? We should hardly need to answer that. If these are inspired writings by the one true living God who created the whole universe, that sort of answers itself. Wouldn't you want to read that book? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to, like, pour through that and, and say, hmm, I'd like to know the mind of God today. Well, I've got a book that contains the mind of God, the will of the Lord, the, the one who, who, you know, created that galaxy that is a million times beyond what the Hubble telescope can reach. The one who created deep space and carbon and gravity and puppies wrote a book, right? Do you need any blurbs on the cover to get you interested? Do you need other authors to get you drawn into the book? You shouldn't. Uh, You should know that that book will be good for you. 
What good is it? It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We need to be taught. We need to be reproved. We need to be corrected. We need to be trained in righteousness, all from the scriptures. If you don't think you need those things, you will neglect the word of God and shun the church where men of God are called to preach and teach it. You will find other sources. But here in the church, we keep going back to the same source, the same place, time and time and time and time again. And that's what we will continue to do. We need to be taught. We need to understand each and every verse. We need to be reproved. In other words, we need to be told, no, not that way. And we need to be corrected. We need to be told, instead, go this way. Right? We need to be trained. We need to be told what it means to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. We need to be reminded of God's righteous commandments. We, we train for athletic events. We should also train in the spiritual race that we're running in. Right? All of this teaching comes from the word of God. The pastor, the man of God, is to preach and teach it, not his own opinions, not his political opinions, not the insights of other men, not visions from some modern-day prophet, but he is to preach the exhalations of God. Right? He is to do that alone, which will prove he is equipped for every good work. Now, Calvin summarizes the apostles' teaching regarding Scripture positively, and I hope I'm going to end here, and I hope this will encourage you and give you the right orientation to the Word of God. He, he simply says this. The Scripture contains a perfect rule of a good and happy life. Do you believe that? The Scriptures contain a perfect rule of a good and happy life. Let's pray. Oh, our Father, we thank you for your word. What a gift. What a treasure it is to us. And Father, I pray that you would forgive us for yawning at it. Forgive us for not giving it the attention that you have called us to give to it, to meditate upon it day and night. Oh, Father, we thank you that you are at work changing and sanctifying us that we might be fit vessels for your kingdom and your household. Lord, make it so that we hang on your words. Make it so that we yearn for your word before we yearn for that cup of coffee in the morning. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.